Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Matt, and uh, it is a privilege to be here with you. I also want to say hi to anyone who's watching our live stream. We have a live stream? What are we doing here? Jeez. I'm glad you guys are here. It's better together, right? Um, but yeah, my name is Matt, and I serve here at Seacoast. It's a privilege uh, to do so. I'm the young adults pastor. I also oversee our life groups, and I get to uh, teach from time to time, which is super fun. I love it. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever received one of those messages that just left you thinking like, what the heck? One of those confusing, super unexpected messages. Well, someone recently shared this with me, and I thought it was amazing. So I have to share this with you. The title reads this. Woman faints after, uh, from shock after receiving an email from an alarming source. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned their stay at the same hotel where they had spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. And because of hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minneapolis and flew to Florida on Thursday with his wife flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address and without realizing his error, sent the email. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack, and the widow decided to check her email expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, she screamed and fainted, and the widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen which read, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. <laughs> I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. And you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I, I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. <laughs> P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, strange and unexpected message indeed. Uh, this morning, uh, we want to look at strange and unexpected messages. And they come to us in a variety of different ways. Sometimes through an email that was accidentally sent to the wrong person. <laughs> but they can also come in a way like we're going to see this morning through what Jesus taught. You know, the Bible is full of strange and unexpected messages all throughout it. And perhaps what we're going to actually look at today tops them all. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them, turn them on, and tap your way uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6, and we're continuing our series uh, through the Gospel of Luke called Who's That Man? And we've been, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. And today we're kind of turning a corner, and we're going to be kind of 
zooming in a little bit on not just the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, but his message. Jesus' message. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be going through what is probably considered one of Jesus' most famous and well-known sermons. And we're going to he- what we're going to hear today and be confronted with is indeed radical and unexpected. It's an unexpected message, and the message that Jesus brought, it, it, you see, it completely flipped the script. It flipped the script on his hearers, his listeners, his followers. He said things that shocked and stunned everybody. And I believe if we're paying attention this morning, the things that we're going to hear are going to shock and stun us as well. Before we dive in, I just want to kind of set the scene for us. So Jesus, he's really, he's at the beginning of his ministry. It's been ramping up. He's, he's finalized his lineup of, of disciples. He's called 12 and chosen 12 specific uh, men to follow him, to learn from him. And Jesus, his popularity is exploding. His popularity is exploding. He's been going around. He's been healing all kinds of diseases and deformities. And, and people are, are hearing about this and they're flocking to him. And it makes sense why people are flocking to them, to him, because Luke points out that right before, uh, right before the passage that we're looking at today, Luke points this out. He says that power was just, it was coming out of Jesus. That people, if, by just merely touching, touching him, were being healed. Power was just coming out. Can you imagine that? I mean, that sounds pretty crazy. It reminds me of a story of a friend of ours. She's a, kind of a well-known singer, but she was telling the story of this time where she was, she had uh, done a show, and then afterwards she was hanging out, meeting some of the fans, and this little girl like walks up to her, and she's like, oh. and, and the little girl reaches out and, and touches our friend like on the, on the head. She's like, oh. give me what you have. Give it to me. You know, thinking that's how like you could, you know, she could pass off her gift to this girl. She's like, Get, like, that's just kind of freaky. And I'd be like, get off of me. I'll give you something else you're not expecting. Uh, but, but that's kind of what we see here. Like, everyone wants to, they want to get close to Jesus. They want to touch him. They want to. And, uh, and it's at this point, you got to kind of picture Jesus, like, people are swarming all around him. And it's at this point where he stops. Where he stops and he begins he looks up at his newly, his freshly minted disciple um, crew, and he begins to teach. He begins to teach. And in doing so, he begins to say some pretty bold and some very unexpected things. So look with me at Luke 6. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 26. And if we could, uh, we could all stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. That'd be great. Let me start here in verse 20. And turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, 
for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. And Lord, God, we come here today expressing that our hearts were made for you, oh God, and we are going to be restless until we find our rest in you. Lord, those of us who come here to this place with heavy and weary-laden souls, God, I pray that you would come in and you would set us free. God, you would, you would bring conviction to our calloused hearts. God, may we see you for who you are this morning in a new and a fresh way. And God, we pray that you would do what only you can do and set us free this morning, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. You know, the, the passage that we just read is commonly known as the Beatitudes. Beatitudes, it's kind of an interesting word. Uh, but Beatitudes, really what that word means is blessed. It can mean supreme blessedness. And it could also be translated just to simply mean happy. Happy. And so before we dive into the each of these uh, Beatitudes this morning, I think it's important that we understand something kind of from the get-go here. I think it's, we import, it's entirely possible, we have to understand, it's entirely possible for us to read the Beatitudes wrongly. It's entirely possible. It's important for us to see that the Beatitudes, that they're not a checklist. The Beatitudes are not a checklist because that's how we often treat things in Scripture. We treat it as though it's a checklist and uh, it's, a, it's a checklist of things that we need to do in order to obtain and secure God's blessing. But that's not what the Beatitudes are. If we read them as a checklist, not only are we reading them wrongly, but we, we miss out on so many things. We miss out on the point of them, but we also miss out on the good news that they have for us. No, Jesus is not giving his disciples, or us for that matter, a checklist what Jesus is doing is he's making statements of fact. He's making statements of fact. You see, the Beatitudes are not prescriptions for how to live and what to do. No, they're not prescriptions. They are descriptions of what is true about God's children right now. There's a big difference between the two. It's a big difference in the way that we approach the Beatitudes. You know, if we read them closely, they're not conditional statements that depend on us and our effort. They're, they're not conditional statements that are only true if we hold up our end of the bargain, if we uphold our end of the deal. No, there's, there's nothing, it's important to see there's nothing in here in the Beatitudes for us to do. The only thing that is in the Beatitudes is something to believe. Another way to put it is that the Beatitudes, they're not if-then statements. They're because-therefore statements. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, like, if you want to be blessed, well, okay, you want to be blessed? Well, you got to be poor. You know, be poor, uh, be hungry, you know, cry a lot, which kind of sounds like someone I'm married to. Jeez, tender tears. You guys. You know, if you want to be blessed, be, uh, be hated by people. No, it's not. If, if, 
Jesus isn't saying, if you do all that, then you're going to be blessed. You know, he's not, Jesus isn't doling out conditional demands to us. He's not laying out a list of prerequisites that we need to follow in order to obtain blessing. Jesus is making a declaration about what is true right here, right now. Again, there's nothing in here for us to do. There's only, some, there's only something in here for us to believe. And th- this is what we are to believe. Here's who you are. You are blessed. Believe that. Here's who you are. You are blessed. And here's what you have to look forward to. You see, the Beatitudes are not promises. I mean, they're not prescriptions. They're promises. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who mourn and weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when, when you're hated because of Jesus, because your reward is great in heaven. These are not prescriptions. These are promises. These are amazing, amazing promises. And the promises of God that we come across in Scripture and come across in this text, they're meant to, to, to fuel our daily life. They're the, the, the fuel in the tank that we need. We need the promises of God. You see, the Christian life, the Christian life is not so much us making promises to God. Like, God, I promise, I promise, God, I promise. The Christian life, at its core, fundamentally, it's not about us making promises to God. The Christian life is about believing the promises that God has made to us. And we need, we need that. We need to understand that the promises of God, they're, they're meant to, to fuel us. The Beatitudes are not prescriptive, they are descriptive. So let's not, as we get going here, let's not turn the Beatitudes into something that they're not. They are descriptive, not prescriptive. And so let's look closer at what kind of person they're describing. And again, these are shocking statements. Because when you read, <clears throat> when you read through the statements, like, you got to think, wait, and if, if you're being honest, there ha- you got to think, there's a, there's a typo here. Or maybe like there was autocorrect when they were writing the Bible. Was the autocorrect around? Because I th- it sounds like autocorrect messed this up because what I just read was that Jesus is saying the people who are blessed are the poor, the hungry, the, the sad, the weeping, and the people who are hated. Like this, this has to be wrong. It can't be right. And maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus was just having an off day. You know, he didn't really know what he was saying. He was up all night. And I, you know, we can cut him a little slack because it sounds to me like Jesus is is saying all the wrong kinds of people are the ones who are blessed. I mean, what comes to your mind when you think of the blessed life? You know, if I'm, if I'm being honest, my natural inclination when I think of a blessed life, you know, I think of the person who's been successful, who has a great family. They live in a nice house in a really nice neighborhood. They take amazing vacations. They have this perfectly curated Instagram feed and hashtag blessed all over it. I mean, that's what I think of. Or it's the person who just seems to like, er- everything's fine. They have a smile on their face. They don't seem to struggle with the things that I struggle with. Nothing ever seems to bother them. You know, the, the world that we live in and the world that you and I have grown up in has a very 
upside down view and a definition of what the blessed life is and what it looks like. We all have certain assumptions of what the blessed, a blessed person looks like. But like we think blessed people are the haves, not the have-nots, that they're the winners, not the losers. They're the people at the top of the ladder. They're not the people at the bottom of the ladder. They're the people in the front of the line, not the back. This is our, our, our natural inclination is when we think of a blessed life. We think of those people. But in these verses, Jesus, he's reversing and redefining everything. Everything, he's redefining what we think of when we think of the blessed life. He says the blessed person is the person who is poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. So it behooves us to understand what Jesus meant. And so let's look uh, more closely at these four descriptions and see what Jesus meant by each of them. The first one is, blessed are you who are poor. Now, while a lot of the people that Jesus was spending his time with and was teaching to, and the people coming and surrounding him were probably materially poor. The majority of them were. I think it's important to know that Jesus wasn't just speaking primarily in an economic way. You know, I mean, to be clear, Jesus had a lot to say about money. I mean, he, he taught a lot about money. He did say that it was really, really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Well, and why is that? Well, it wasn't because the rich had money. It was because money had them. That m- money had a grip on their heart. You see, wealth isn't the issue. Worship is. And the question that we're confronted with over and over in Scripture is where, at the end of the day, where are you placing your identity and your hope? You know, is it in treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy, or is it treasures in heaven? We're constantly being brought to that. Are we living for the here and now, or are we living for what is to come? But here in the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't saying that being economically poor is more spiritual. Like, if the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are. I mean, that's, this isn't a po- like a theology of poverty. You know, because that begs the question, well, Jesus, how poor do I really need to be? I mean, let's, you know, like, give me a line, and like, let me, how poor do I need to be? Uh, and if I'm just the right amount of poor, am I good to go? Like, Jesus, I'm still rocking an iPhone 4. Am I, am I poor? Am I, is that cool? Sorry, Toby. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, no, but Jesus, in his usual fashion, he's, he's speaking in spiritual terms. Well, how do we know that? Well, if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings, uh, you're probably aware of a similar list of Beatitudes that are in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 5, we see a more expanded version of what are known as the Beatitudes. And Matthew's version of the Beatitudes is longer, it's more in-depth. And what's interesting is that Matthew, he adds on these little clarifications. He says, like, blessed are the poor, and he says, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what's cool about that is that, that Matthew's account and his list of, of Beatitudes kind of provide us with an interpretive lens on which to use to interpret what we see going on in Luke. You know, it's Bible interpreting the Bible, which is a really good thing, especially with the Gospels. And also, it's interesting to note that in the book of Psalms, we read uh, David, who was a king, who is really rich, 
we read what David declared in Psalm 40, 17. He says, as for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not, do not delay, oh my God. Psalm 86, 1, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Psalm 109, 22, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. Again, these are the Psalms of David. And nobody reading through David's Psalms would ever come across that and be like, oh, he was probably, you know, just not financially well off. Like, David was a king. He, was, he had insane wealth. And so I think it's okay for us to understand, to imp- interpret David's statements along the same lines that we see in Matthew, of being poor in spirit. So it's, it's not just speaking of material things. It's speaking of the spiritual realm. So the question is, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And at the core, to be poor in spirit is to recognize your spiritual impoverishment. You know, Jesus is referring to those who have recognized that their greatest need in life is not material. Their greatest need in life is spiritual. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your need for a savior. It's to admit that you're weak. To be poor in spirit is to, it's to come to the end of yourself and to, to really be able to admit two things. To admit I am in desperate need of rescue and that there is nothing that I can do to save myself. You know, being poor, it, it implies utter desperation and dependence on God. And this is, this is really hard stuff for us in, in our world, and our culture, because we, as, a, as a, a society, are so allergic to need, to being seen as needy. We want to see ourselves as strong. We want to see ourselves as capable, like, I've got it. I don't need help. And we want others to look at our lives and be like, oh, like, he seems like a strong and capable guy. So the idea of being, need, uh, being in need uh, and asking for help, I mean, that can be a huge blow to our ego. That can hurt, Right? Admitting that we are weak and desperate for rescue can oftentimes feel like death. But the irony is, that is where we actually find life. You know, a little later on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, will save it. You see, in, in God's economy, you win by losing. In God's economy, you live by dying. And that's completely upside down from what the world tells us. To be poor in spirit is to realize that when we are measured up against God's perfect, holy righteousness— when that's what we're comparing ourselves to, that none of us have a leg to stand on. Being poor in spirits to realize that even all of the best things and the, the greatest things that you've done at the end of the day, they're not enough. It means being poor in spirit is to admit that I'm spiritually bankrupt. You know, several months ago, I shared this, and I thought I would bring it back uh, because uh, I just thought it would really, be really appropriate for what we're talking about this morning. Some of you have heard this before, but... A man died and was standing at the gates of heaven waiting to be admitted. 
To the man's utter shock, Peter said, You have to have earned a thousand points to be admitted to heaven. What have you done to earn your points? And the guy says, Well, (laughs) I've never heard that before, but I think I'll do all right. I was raised in a Christian home and have always been a part of the church. I have Sunday school attendance pins that go down to the floor. I went to a Christian college and graduate school and have probably led hundreds of people to Christ. I'm now an elder in my church and am quite supportive of the work of what the people of God do. I have three children, two boys and a girl. My oldest boy is a pastor and the younger is a staff person with a ministry to the poor. My daughter and her husband are missionaries. And I have always tithed and am a, and now giving well over 30% of my income to God's work. I'm a bank executive and work with the poor in our city trying to get low-income mortgages. How am I doing so far? He asked Peter. That's one point, Peter said. <laughs> what else have you done? In frustration, the man exclaimed, Good Lord, have mercy! And Peter said, That's it. Welcome home. You see, being poor in spirit is to realize that what God demands, you cannot deliver. Being poor in spirit is to realize that what God demands, that we do not have the capacity or the ability to deliver. We need help. By saying the poor, the weak, the needy, that by saying those are the ones who are blessed, Jesus is redefining the Christian life. Completely redefining it. You see, we... You and I tend to view the Christian life and Christian growth as this this upward progression. Like we're getting better and better. We're growing. Uh, And what happens, whether we realize it or not, there can be a subtle, uh, something happening under the surface where we think, I'm getting better and better and better, and I need Jesus less and less. That's how a lot of us view the Christian life, is that, I'm getting better and better. I'm getting stronger and stronger. And so my need is decreasing lower and lower. But Jesus is saying that the person who is truly blessed is not the person who's getting better and better, but the person who is coming to understand more and more how much they need him. And by the way, to to see more and more your need for Jesus, to grow in, in an awareness of, oh, I need Jesus. I need him. To grow in your awareness of that, I think, is what it means to grow as a Christian. Again, it's not upward progression. It's almost, it's downward. And I believe that the more we understand our need, the more that we understand God's strength and his ability to save. And that makes Jesus even more and more beautiful to us. You know, it's interesting that Paul, at the end of his life, this is Paul, you know, like he's written a lot of great letters. He's, he's a celebrity in the church. Uh, he's, you know, this amazing, amazing man of God. And he, Paul, at the, near the end of his life, he writes this. He says to Timothy, he writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am the worst. This is Paul at the end of his life. He, he's saying, after all I've seen and done and all of the grace, I mean, everything that I, I've encountered, I'm the worst guy that I know. And I think that's crazy. I mean, like, Come on, Paul. 
You're t- that's, that's wrong. You can't be the worst guy. But by saying the poor, the weak, the needy are the ones who are blessed, Jesus is redefining what we think of when we think of Christian growth or the Christian life. And the thing is, when you are confronted with your need, when you're confronted uh, with your weakness, this is a, that's a beautiful reminder of your need for Jesus and his strength. So check this out. We usually, we want to avoid neediness and weakness, but, when, but weakness can actually be a gift. Weakness is actually a gift because it points you to Jesus, who is, the, who is your strength and the source of every blessing. You see, the poor in spirit, that's, that's who the good news is for. That's who the kingdom of God is belongs to. It's for the weak, not the strong. It's for the failures, not the successful. It's for the humble, not the haughty. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And so it's interesting that there's a future uh, dynamic to this. These, these couplets here are future-oriented. And, you know, we have to realize that at some level, every human is hungry. I mean, we're all at some level hungry for, for significance, for meaning, for, for approval and acceptance and, and all of these things and purpose. We have this, this, this craving inside for these things. We want our lives to matter. And this hunger that, that exists inside of us, it causes us to go out and to look, like, to look behind every worldly tree and underneath every worldly rock for that, for that thing that will finally satisfy and satiate our hunger, our craving. And the thing that happens, the, the world that we live in, is, is it offers us an endless catalog of substitute saviors. Things that are infinitely smaller than Jesus that we run to every day trying to satisfy ourselves. But the truth is that nothing smaller than Jesus will ever be big enough to f- provide that satisfaction that our hearts crave. Never, it will n- never be big enough to, to satisfy our longing hearts. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, we read the account of, of Solomon. And Solomon, if you know him, like he's, he was one of the, the richest guys to ever, ever exist. I mean, he had insane wealth. And he writes in Ecclesiastes 2, he, check this out. This is what he says. He says that, I denied myself nothing in my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. See, Solomon, he had all of the resources to pursue this meaning. He, he tried to satisfy his hunger and his thirst for meaning and purpose through all this, his pursuits and all of his possessions. And at the end of, his, the end of the, all of that, he confesses that it was meaningless. It's all for what? He calls it, he, was just, he called it a chasing after the wind. You see, life under the sun, life under the sun was never meant 
to satisfy our longing hearts. It was never meant to fulfill us. And many of us here, we have or we are or we are going to experience the crash (laughs) that comes, the disillusionment that comes when this life lets you down. When the things that you have filled your life with, the possessions, the stuff, these things that you've banked your identity in, when those things fall through, when things fall apart, we experience this crash, this disillusionment from things not panning out, not satisfying our deep down hunger. And this disillusionment, it, it brings with it this, this sadness. It can bring depression. It can cause you to weep. It can cause your soul to cry. Like, why isn't this stuff working? Why can't I find the thing that's going to actually satisfy me? I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I hate that feeling of being let down. I hate having an expectation hangover. You guys know what I'm talking about? When things fail you, when people leave you, when, uh, when things just don't pan out, that there's the, it causes depression, it causes sadness, it causes despair. But hear this, hear this. Jesus is saying that this place of sadness, depression, weeping, mourning, he's saying that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be because when you finally realize that nothing under the sun can satisfy, it means that you are finally ready to receive the good news that comes from above the sun. And that good news is Jesus. Jesus came from above the sun to come down to satisfy our ultimate cravings for acceptance and approval and meaning and salvation. In other words, the person who recognizes that that the life under the sun cannot satiate the hunger and, and looks to Jesus, that person will find the satisfaction that their heart craves. Because that's where the best, that's where the blessing flows. It doesn't flow uphill to the people at the top. It doesn't flow up, the, up to the top of the ladder. It flows to the, the bottom of the hill. It flows, the blessing flows and meets people at the end of the rope, at the bottom And Jesus said, after all that, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, the pain, the letdown, the disillusionment, the disillusionment you experience when things on earth, our stuff fails you. Anytime we experience just sadness and like it's not painting out, hear this, this is actually... This is an amazing thought. Is that it actually is an expression of faith. Down deep at the core, all of our disillusionment with the things of this world is an expression of faith because in that moment we are declaring or expressing that the world is not everything that it should be. This world is broken. This world is not what it should be. And so I want to encourage all of us to allow that, that hunger, allow that that those times where you're let down by things, allow that to drive you to Jesus. Jesus promised that the person who hungers now will ultimately be satisfied. He promised that the person who mourns now will ultimately laugh. These are promises. And finally, Jesus says, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
I don't know about you, that, that, <laughs> do you leap for joy when people hate you and ostracize you? And again, this is, this is not uh, Jesus saying, go out and be a jerk, and then if people hate you, like, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, really quick, I was, it was interesting that I, I was thinking through each of these Beatitudes, and I kind of realized that each of these Beatitudes is exposing an idol in my heart. It exposes an idol. The first one about blessed are the poor, that exposes the idol of self-sufficiency. Like, I, I, I've got it. I, I'm going to take control. It's all about me. I don't need anything. The, the beatitude about hungry and weeping exposes the idol of comfort. All the different things that I run to for comfort. And this one, being hated, it exposes the idol of approval. And I'll just go ahead and confess it. I'm an approval junkie. Hi, my name's Matt, and I'm an approval junkie. Just, (laughs) thank you, thank you. And I'm sure I'm not alone. But I I just want to, but I, most days, I care way too much about what people think of me. And way too little about what God says is true of me. I'm all out of whack. I care way too much about what people think and way too little about what God thinks and what God says. So these words here, they're challenging. But Jesus isn't, again, he's not saying go out and be a jerk and that's, that's great. Again, he's not giving us a checklist to, go, to do. He's saying that when, not if, people hate you and reject you because of him, that you, are, you can rejoice. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. You see, all of these things, none of these, these, these things make sense at all when we're living for the here and the now. If we're just, we're enslaved to a, just a temporal mindset, of like this life is all that there is, these don't make sense. And what, what Jesus is calling us to is to live with an eternal perspective. That this life is not all that there is. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See, compared to eternity, this life is just a little, little, it's a little tick, a little blip. That's all it is. Our, all our lives, all of our years are a little in the grand scheme of things. But this is cool when you think about this life, this lifetime that we have right here, right now, is our only opportunity to actually suffer. This is it. Because should Jesus return or call us home, that's the end of suffering. You don't have the opportunity to suffer. You don't have the opportunity to be rejected, to experience that pain of all of those things in eternity. This is it. This is our only opportunity to, to experience that. And so let's suffer well. Let's suffer well knowing, as Paul said, that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I want to invite the band to come back up. We're going to 
in a moment, we're going to transition into a time of communion. And, and I think it's important to know here that, that Jesus, in these Beatitudes, he's speaking to two different types of people, two different groups of people. The first group are the, are the group that are blessed. They have a, an eternal perspective. And they, this group is trusting that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the second group are those that Jesus declares woes upon because they're living for the present life. Jesus is saying if, if all that matters to you is what happens here in this life, if, you're, if, that's, if that is your perspective, then woe to you because you may have a great life here, but this is as good as it's going to get. Woe to you. You know, I think to the first group, the Beatitudes, they come as encouragement. They come as life. Blessed are you. But to the second group, the Beatitudes can come as judgment, can come as a warning. And so my question is, what group do you find yourself in this morning? What group are, are, you, are you most, do you find yourself in? And my prayer is that you'd be able to see that the truly blessed life is the life utter dependency on Christ and what he has done for sinners like you and I. That's the truly blessed life. Remember that seeing your need and your weakness, your desperation, and your disillusionment with the things in this world, that all of that is a gift that God gives us. If you are a child of God, all of these beatitudes— they are bold declarations over your life. Jesus is declaring you are blessed and the best is yet to come. And none of these, none of these blessings would be possible without the cross. In the Apostle Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus became poor that we might become rich. Jesus was cast out so that we could be brought in. Jesus was rejected so that we would be accepted. He gave it all for us. And this is what we remember when we go to the table and partake of the Lord's Supper. In just a moment, when you feel the time is right, you can make your way to one of the tables around the room and and grab the bread, and the bread is a symbol. It represents Jesus' his body, which was broken for you. It represents his body, which, which took your place on the cross. And then to, you take the cup, and the cup is, is, represents his blood, which was shed for you and I, for forgiveness. And what's amazing is that on the cross, Jesus, he bore the wrath so that we would bear the blessing. And that's what we, we celebrate. That's what we remember when we go to the Lord's table. That in our place, condemned, he stood and sealed our pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So the band's going to play a couple songs whenever you want to just make your way over to the table and do that.